stories from around the corner and around the country. You're listening to All the Best. Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. You're listening to All the Best from FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Madhura Prakash. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders past and present and also recognize that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance, and resilience for First Nations communities. A quick heads up, this story contains a derogatory term for sex workers, discussions of non-consent, and police violence. This week on All the Best, we're bringing you a story from the sex workers behind the Decrim Queensland movement. Before the piece, you'll hear a conversation I had with artist and sex worker Queenie, who produced this story to platform unheard voices and spread the message of the movement. Hi, my name's Queenie. I am an artist and sex worker um, based in Nam. So Queenie, what led you to putting this story together? Like many sex workers, I've been following the Deacon campaign um, for the last five years and have just I've been really amazed in seeing how involved the sex work community has been in putting this huge piece of work together. Um, I also know that there's been like some podcasts about the Fitzgerald um, investigation into police corruption, which is when there was the first suggestion that sex work should no longer be in the jurisdiction of the police and be decriminalised. But none of those stories really focused on sex worker voices or saw them as experts. Um, And sex worker stories are just so often told about us and not by us. And like we're very often just painted as unreliable narrators or that there's a need for counter voices to balance the story. So I really just wanted to create something that just allowed um, sex workers to, to share their own narratives. You can definitely see that. I mean, your interview style was very much focused on the individual like very diverse voices of all the different people you spoke to um which was so awesome why was this story um important to you i just really wanted to show people outside of the sex work community what decrim would mean for workers lives and yeah for that story to be told by sex workers um often when our stories are Um, framed by those outside of the sex workers like workers are really made to sort of make an argument for their existence or their legitimacy rather than just being able to share like their fully dimensional lives and experiences. Yeah I was gonna say like clearly this was something that was incredibly important to you because this is your first uh, piece of audio uh, storytelling right? Yeah, yeah, it was the, the first time. I've been doing a lot of story projects actually for the, um, like over lockdown, I ran um, the intro room, which was like a online sex worker storytelling event. And um, I'm like one of the founders of SNS, which is the sex worker narrative salon. And so we run a lot of like sex worker um, writing workshops. But yeah, we just like really wanted to have a space where we could have like a documentation of sex worker stories in this like very historical moment for workers in Queensland. Yeah, that's awesome. And we'll share all the details to um, 
the intro room and everything like that in our on our website and everything so people can check that out. Um, but yeah, so speaking of Decrim Queensland, um, can you tell us a bit about what the main goals are of the organisation? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the main goals are to be able to repeal all laws that criminalise and penalise sex workers and for sex workers to be able to work safely whatever type of sex work they choose to engage in. Um, and so in all of that work that Decrim Queensland is doing, how can we best support you guys? I think just being able to follow the campaign, but also being able to follow like a diverse range of sex worker voices. There's so many amazing sex worker writers and um, activists that you can hear all different types of perspectives and experiences. Um, there's really no need to listen to um, people outside of the community having their opinion <laughs> on sex work. Like we really we have it covered. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we can be supportive by following y'all and recognising that y'all are the voices on the issue. There's no need for external, quote-unquote, experts. Y'all are the experts for your own story. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Um, yeah, so I wanted to finish off by asking you, so obviously, you know, your identity as a sex worker and the advocacy you do for decriminalizing sex work is awesome and very cool. But in the spirit of, like you mentioned before, kind of working against this dehumanization of sex workers, um, where you're treated as kind of one dimensional beings, I was wondering if you could tell us something else you're super passionate about. Um, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, like, at the moment, I'm really reading a lot of, like, speculative fiction, which feels like um, a not-distant practice of, like, the vision (laughs) for decriminalised futures, because that's really, like, building a reality, like, that we've never seen before, or really, yeah, asking people to invest in visioning and, um, like, having dreaming skills, which we're not often us to do so I feel like yeah like really passionate about how we like cultivate and invest in those practices um I also am very passionate about small dogs um but I also (laughs) feel like um I don't want to have to have points of connection between me and other people to feel like that sex workers should be able to have the same rights as everyone or live safely in the world thank you that's a good point I love that uh, the idea of, um, yeah, people kind of needing to broaden their ability to perceive what are, what a future could look like, um, you know, decriminalizing sex work, decriminalizing all kinds of things. Yeah, decriminalize, you know, decriminalizing sex work is, is a huge part of like how we all keep each other safe. But I think as a big picture, it's a really small part because then what does that mean for sex workers who use drugs if drugs are still criminalized or sex workers who are migrant workers when we still have really violent borders that um, are constantly policing or affecting workers' safety? Like I think of decriminalization as like, part of like a much bigger framework of you know the demands that sit under prison abolition and it's like those spaces of 
of like de-investing de in those systems that are really harmful for us and in being able to invest in the spaces and communities which we know really create um, care and safety in our lives and worlds. People outside of sex work were like, oh, you need to go to the police. And people within sex work was like, I'm so sorry, what can I do? Obviously, police are not an option. Hi, my name's Queenie and I'm a sex worker and artist. I made this podcast with Decrim Queensland so you can hear from sex workers about their experience of working in the 30 years since the Fitzgerald inquiry into police corruption and about how the laws affect sex workers' safety in Queensland. My name is Astrid. I've been working as a sex worker for eight years now. My name is Candy Forrest. I started working in the sex industry probably around 1987. My name's Hope. I'm an uh, Aboriginal woman. I've been working for about 15, 16 years. I've lost count. My name is Doi. I am a migrant sex worker in Australia. I remember I went uh, start work as a sex worker probably year 2007. I currently work out of, I would call it a share house, uh, just in a suburb in Queensland. I, I share with a few other women. I, I managed to share that space with some of my best friends that become my family, essentially, and... It affords me a really great level of not just safety, but connection, I think, that is missing with a lot of private workers because they're forced to be so isolated and alone under the, the current Queensland legislation. What we're doing it would technically be, can be considered a brothel, essentially, under the laws. So when Astra says it would be considered a brothel, she means an unlicensed brothel the type that's heavily policed in Queensland. There's actually a lot of ways that sex workers are criminalised. Working together is just one of them. There's a few things in place that we do to stay under the radar. But living next door to us, you'd, you'd never know. It looks like any other suburban house. It's a nice Queenslander in a nice area. Um, yeah, um, you're probably living next to someone in a similar situation. I'd sort of walked into this brothel situation all around the time that, that this Moonlight State stuff was going on in the news where certain journalists were talking about illegal gambling joints and, you know, the, the police ministers were saying, no, there's nothing like that going on in Queensland. And it all just sort of ended up coming out in, in the media in the lead-up to and culminating in the Fitzgerald inquiry. The inquiry itself started around 1988 thing and he ended up reporting on it in 1989 and it was thoroughly corrupt at that stage but I didn't understand any of that stuff. You know, I was 23 but I, didn't, I was totally apolitical. I knew nothing about politics and... 
I just figured this is the way they do this stuff. I've been working at this brothel for about, oh, four weeks or something, and one night I came in to start my shift as usual and there were um, a couple of guys in suits sitting at the bar talking to the brothel manager. So they were sitting there having a beer and and whatnot and, um, you know, I just went in and I got put my lingerie on and I was getting ready to work and stuff and I thought, well, maybe they're some sort of clients, you know, they're businessmen or something. And uh, he calls me over and he says, oh, Sophie, come over here, you know, um, you know, I want to introduce you to somebody. And so I, I go over there and he says, this is the police and they're here to charge you. He'd sort of said something like, Oh, here we go. This one's new. It's, it's, it'll be her turn to be, be charged now. She probably hasn't been charged yet. And uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, what, what for, you know? And, and they sort of took me over to one side and they put on these really intimidating and, and gruff police style, you know. Um, uh, now, now, listen here, girly, this is what we do. Um, you know, you're, you're on a pretty good wicket here. You know, you, you come in here and uh, you, you can make, a, you know, over $100,000 a year here if you wanted to and you don't have to pay any tax. And the way that we, we do it is that um, instead of paying tax, you just get charged. You know, we'll come in probably once every six weeks or so, you'll get a charge. In May 1987, acting Queensland Premier Bill Gunn ordered a commission of inquiry after the media reported possible police corruption involving illegal gambling and sex work. Tony Fitzgerald QC was appointed to lead the commission of inquiry into possible illegal activities and associated police misconduct, known as the Fitzgerald Inquiry. In 1989, the Fitzgerald Inquiry found excessive levels of police corruption in relation to sex work and recognised the need to remove police from this role. Ten years later, the Prostitution Act 1999 was introduced to licensed brothels with extreme barriers to compliance. The Fitzgerald Inquiry had actually recommended that sex work should be recognised as work and released from police control, though that never happened instead making many aspects of sex work criminalised and meaning that most sex workers can't operate legally, are not able to utilise safety strategies and have allowed decades of legal entrapment to be used against sex workers by police posing as clients. I have had uh, one experience where the police come into a brothel that I worked and everyone was a little bit scared. What they tried to do right from the start was to kind of pretend like they already had the power to do certain things that I I knew that they didn't. But they sort of like, oh, you know, can we all look around? You know, nobody here is in trouble, even if this person is here, no one's in trouble. I found that they just sort of try to talk you around and they're they're really nice until they're trying to get what they want. And then when they realise that they're not going to, they start making threats like, we don't want to pull you into this, but we will if we have to.
in the time that I was there, I got charged three times. I just figured that this was just the way it was. Over a long period of time, when I realised what was really going on, I became quite angry about it because I thought they really did have this flippant approach to you're just a whore and um, you, you're on a good wicket here, you know, you can wear this. And that with no real care about how that might impact on a, somebody's future life. They also used to come in there and, and have bookings. My friend, she was a, a little bit older than me and um, quite a formidable woman, you know. Um, but yes, they, there was one particular um, police officer who was interested in her, so whenever he came in, if she was on, she would um, have to have a booking with him. And she got paid for it, um, her normal amount, um, but it was sort of one of those things where she couldn't say no. He was getting his perk and, you know, she was the one he wanted, so she had to do the booking which when I think about it now is pretty, pretty full on, really. The police are currently regulating more than 80% of the sex industry in Queensland with significant negative impacts to the health, safety, legal and human rights of sex workers. The current laws criminalise safety strategies that can be used in any other Queensland workplace, like colleagues keeping track of each other's movements checking in and out after appointments and describing their services. The idea that the police can just pose as clients is a really scary one. So what they tend to do is they look at your ads for these terrible words you've put in that are off their don't write list, like massage, and then they will call you or text you and ask you for an illegal service often. They might ask you for a double. That's a really common one, I think, because people are like, it's no big deal, it's just a double. Because it's really no big deal, it's just working with somebody else. So then the police come, they're dressed up as a, as, as a regular client and they want to get that verbal admission that you're going to do something illegal. They want to try to ask you questions about, oh, so, oh, is there a friend you can invite around? In that particular time, I was working uh, privately on my apartment. Um, police, they're pretending to be the client calling directly to my ad and asks me, do I working? I say, yes. Do you have any friend that work with you? And I say, I got a lot of friends that's working like me. I say that. And then the police say, ah, oh, can I book you with your friend? And I say, you book me, you come to see me first. And then we talk that later, he moved and confirmed me. When my cry that I not even realized he was undercover as a police, 
He just come in. He booked me 12 noon. I still remember. I opened the door to invite him to come to in my room, and then I asked for my fee. He said, "You you have friend here?" And I said, "No, I been here by myself. I I working on my own. If you want to see me, you pay me fee." And he said, "I want to see your friend, and then we can do the double, and then I can pay your money." And then he pull out his police tag and tell me he is police. Straight away, he opened my door. Four police stand on front, and then they all come into my room. I just feeling shocked. I don't know what I have done wrong. I have no an idea what have I wrong, what have I done wrong. They ask me to get dressed. After I get dressed, they chuck me down, push me down on my couch, and handcuff me. That policeman is pointing his finger on top of my front head and say, "We gonna send you home." Criminalization and repressive policing has had a detrimental effect on sex workers' health and safety by disrupting our workplaces, institutionalizing violence, restricting access to justice, increasing stigma and inequalities, and restricting access to health and social care. Despite the Fitzgerald investigation finding that the sex work industry should be treated like any other and released from police control, today the policing of sex workers has only increased. The licensing laws have resulted in only a handful of licensed brothels across Queensland. There's only 20 licensed brothels in total. 19 are in southeast Queensland and one in Cairns. By comparison, there are 223 in the city of Sydney. This means that all other sex work business models like co-ops, escort agencies, erotic massage parlors, or BDSM establishments are all illegal. The policing definitely became more intense following Fitzgerald. It was like they were just out there spending every minute going through ads or, you know, trying to track down sex workers so that they could um, charge them. Um, It seemed like they were trying to prove that they weren't corrupt anymore. One of the things that they were targeting at that time was uh, people putting the word massage in their ad, which is still an issue in Queensland, like, you know, 30-something years later. You get penalty infringement notices for using the wrong words in your advertising in Queensland. When I do my uh, massage with a, with a handjob finish service, Instead of writing massage with handjob ending, I have to write erotic relaxation with magic hands, which is (laughs) just really stupid. So we have to find ways around these words we can't use. Uh, For full service, it can also be really difficult. The, The main problem lies in that you 
cannot describe what you do. You can put um, GFE, girlfriend experience, but girlfriend experience to some people means one thing and some people means another. So it makes it difficult. If you could say, I do an amazing girlfriend experience where I provide kissing, oral sex, sex and a, and a lovely massage to finish off. The people that are calling would know what they're, what they're coming in for, but they don't. I guess to a lot of people that aren't sex workers would think, oh, that must be just annoying, but it's actually quite dangerous. When somebody comes in thinking that their, their idea of a girlfriend experience is that you're going to have sex with them without a condom or they're going to be able to do certain things that, that person by person doesn't allow, um, then you then have a person at your door that wants something that you're not willing to give. Words like uh, kissable. According to some guy in an office, that means that you're going to have sex without a condom, which is also illegal in <laughs> Queensland. So it's, it's not words that people are thinking of, like that, that, that you might not want to see in a newspaper. It's very normal, very normal kind of words. <laughs> You can be issued a pin notice for using one of these words in your advertising. And then the only way that you can fight your pin is if you go to court, which is a lot of time, money, effort, and you have to publicly and on the record forever out yourself under your real name as a sex worker. So what tends to happen a lot of the time is that people will just accept the pin, particularly our... Asian migrant community because these sort of things can affect visa statuses and stuff like that. So it feels like just a ridiculous kind of money grab. I really believe it police the the targeting Asian or migrant sex worker and in the pit, uh, particular time and they do it at the patterns. Um, however, because I believe is when they're harassing me in the same period of time, week later, I heard they harass people there, there, there in similar time. And even the people, the sex worker I know, been, been harassed by police in same period of time as well. I have no idea why they target on us. We know that migrant workers experience really high levels of racial profiling from the police that causes unnecessary criminalization, detrimental health and socioeconomic impacts. Furthermore, it inhibits many groups from reporting crimes and seeking assistance from the police. We know the harms of police violence for sex workers ripples across our families and communities. Policing practices have been shown to affect mental health and increased rates of adverse health conditions for people living in heavily policed communities. I remember they searching on my handbag. They took all the key, the ID, driver license. They will not just take your work phone, but they will take your personal phone. Most of us have two phones because we like to keep our work and our personal life separate. But they will take both. They will take a laptop 
that they find anywhere in the workspace because they say that that must be where you've done your advertising. They will take any and all money that they find because they believe that it's tainted because you have maybe done this one thing that they consider illegal. Um, so you must always do illegal things. And I've heard people be asked things like, have you called somebody? Does somebody know you're here? So that they can try to get you on that charge too because that simple act of calling or texting another worker is illegal. Just to clarify, not because I think what was said wasn't said clearly, just because sometimes when I tell people this, they think they've misunderstood because these laws make no sense. What's happening with the police in Queensland is that they identify that something is wrong with the wording of one of our ads. And this allows them to get approval to go undercover and make a booking posing as a client. Imagine you're there, maybe just in your underwear, you're interacting with a person as if they're a client, only to find out at some point later that they are in fact a police officer. They can then use your mobile phone and your laptop as evidence to identify if you've been communicating with another sex worker or another person about work. This might have been someone who helped you write or put up your ad. That increases the charge to knowingly participating in the provision of prostitution. And along with the seizure of your money, your laptop, your phone, there can be a fine of up to $6,000. And where do you make $6,000 when all your means for work have just been taken away from you? I don't want all these things to happen to me or my friends or my family or whatever, but I would, most important number one thing is that I want to be safe. So it's really hard to do that when you have a law that says you, your safety strategy is legal and if we catch you in it, you're in trouble. I had a client immediately upon meeting this person was just very off and was just thinking, how am I going to get this person out of my room? And how am I going to do it without creating a scene? I don't want the hotel to know what is happening because I'll be ejected from the hotel. But also, what will I do if it actually goes wrong? And I think that was scarier than even like the immediate threat that I felt. It was just what are the consequences going to be? People outside of sex work were like, you need to go to the police. And people within sex work was like, I'm so sorry, what can I do? Obviously police are not an option. Like they just knew that that was not that was not a thing that could happen for us. And, you know, trying to explain that to people outside of sex work, they're just like, but that that shouldn't be the case. Like, you, you know, if a bad thing happened, that's what the police are for. And it was unfathomable to them that that's not how it is for us. I've had another experience where I've had to report things to the police. One time, once was taken and basically I was dismissed. And then the second time I was actually heard, which was really good because it doesn't happen that often. <laughs> I can't trust police. I believe police is a uh, light sex worker. When you have a negative 
experience with the police, especially police targeting you. I don't want to waste my my mental health. I don't want to meet i n g to Tom to get to get support from police. Of course, I get nothing. I get no result. I get no future. Sex work is real work. Why we have to commit with convict criminal crime for what we doing? It's not. It's not fair. The Fitzgerald Court had said that the police should be removed entirely from any sort of sex work surveillance or policing. And that if it was going to be regulated, it should be regulated by a civil authority, like the health department. But that that was just totally disregarded. They kept the police involved, and then later, like it was ten years later, that they changed the laws to what we have now. Um, and when they did that, they they kept it all in the hands of the police. So. The, the prostitution licensing authority that regulates the brothels now and regulates the advertising and all of that. They used to report to the police minister. I think now they report to the attorney general, but they refer to the police all the time. And it's still the police that are enforcing the law on the rest of the industry. So it's you know it's embedded. Police cannot be both protectors and prosecutors. Substantial public health research demonstrates that police perpetrate harm and inhibit linkage to supportive services. Sex workers have a really long history of exploring ways to reduce harm by creating community responses that do not include the police. It's, of course, a fear that everyone um, has. Um, For me, particularly as an Aboriginal woman, the idea of going to jail is really, really scary for me. Um, with deaths in custody and that kind of thing, it's extra fear on top of just going to jail for other people <laughs> or getting a charge. Um, there's that fear um, that so many Aboriginal people go into jail and don't come out. Police are not healthcare professionals, and policing is not a healthcare solution. And yet, they are regulating the health and safety of our lives. Despite no evidence that investing in policing reduces crime rates or harm connected to sex workers, the policing of sex work communities has only increased over the past 30 years. With a specialized unit called the Prostitution Enforcement Task Force, its sole job is to police sex workers. It's easy to see the problems with the licensing of sex work, but sex workers have known for decades what the solution is. You know, not long after Fitzgerald, um, yeah, we came to hear that there was a sex workers organisation um, starting up, and they had an office in West End, and you know, so we were like, oh, we'll go and go and check it out. It was like. A rainbow to me, you know, because it was like here was a group of sex workers, you know, doing some work towards getting things the way they should be, and 
it was reading some of their literature that I saw, well, you know, that they thought that it shouldn't be illegal. It should be just treated like any other business. And, and I was like, well, yeah, of course, you know, but it was almost like before I heard that, I, I couldn't even conceive of it, that sex work would be treated like any other business because, you know, the whole milieu that I'd been operating in was so sort of entrenched in criminalisation that I couldn't even see anything outside of that. And it wasn't until many years later that I got involved myself, sex work, activism, but I always sort of had this, it was like a glimmer in my eye, you know, I thought, yes, they're doing something that, that counts, that I'm going to do something like that one day. And, and so I did. The ideal safety that I would envision for sex work is under full decriminalisation because I know that if something does go wrong, I don't have to worry, oh, was I, you know, am I going to be raided as a brothel? Am I going to be charged? Am I going to have my money taken away from me? Am I going to have a record? I don't have to go through all those different scenarios about how I, I need to protect myself from the police before I decide what to do. The realisation that, you know, it could be different or has been battered quite a bit over the last, you know, whatever, 30-something years or whatever. I, I really didn't think I'd be sitting here like 20 years past the turn of the new century, the new millennium, we're still having to argue for why sex work shouldn't be criminal. It's amazing that we're still having to argue that. But at the same time, I feel like now I'm seeing more movement around the country than I've seen ever. And change is happening. Sex workers in Queensland have been fighting for the decriminalisation of sex work for decades. In April 2023, Attorney General Shannon Bentiman announced that Queensland will decriminalise sex work. A landmark review into sex work by the Queensland Law Reform Commission has made 47 recommendations. This includes scrapping the Police Licensing Authority and repealing some police powers. This has the potential to be the most significant policy change for sex workers, our partners, friends, family and children to ever happen in Queensland, while simultaneously resulting in very little change for most other community members. I'm super proud who I am and super proud to be a part of sex work community in Australia. I want Decream Queensland to get passed by that can help us to work safely. I'm a sex worker, but I'm many things. Like, I am a mother, a sister, a daughter. I'm a really good crocheter. I'm all these other things that once you get it in your head that I'm a sex worker, you don't see. This is one element of my life. It's 
probably a smaller element to all those other things that I am all the time. When you take me or any other sex worker as just this one element, you dehumanise them. I would love to see my friends start their own collectives and work in spaces that they can share and support each other and form a real community. And I think that would be really important going forward because we look after each other exceptionally well. And I think we could do a lot more if we were given the space to do so and it wasn't criminalised. This is the end of the episode, but it's far from the end of this story. The next stage includes the drafting of the laws. It's going to need all of us working together to make sure no sex worker is left behind and the systems that apply to the industry once the criminal laws are repealed do not undermine the benefits of decrim. It's essential sex workers are at the table and are part of the decision making when sex worker laws are developed to ensure there are no unintended consequences and the laws do not harm. If you want to keep up to date with what's happening for sex workers in Queensland, you can follow Decrim QLD on Twitter and Instagram. Whatever happens, I know that sex workers will continue to fight for our collective liberation. Thank you for listening and a huge thank you to Candy, Joy, Hope and Astrid for sharing their stories. This episode was recorded on the lands of the Turrbal and Yogara people. Thank you. Bye! <laughs> that story was produced by Queenie for Decrim Queensland. You can find more of their work on the Intro Room, an online sex worker storytelling night. And you can follow Decrim Queensland on at DecrimQLD on Twitter and Instagram. Links will be available on our website. As autumn draws to a close, we at All The Best want to hear from you. Tell us what you love, like, dislike and everything in between about the stories we're producing and our pitch workshops to go into the draw to win a pair of Neuro headphones. Go to All The Best Radio on Facebook or Instagram to find the survey link. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and 8CCC on Arunde and Waramungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mal Chun, and Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager. Our social media producer is Isabella Lee. Patrick McKenzie is our community coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Madhura Prakash. Thanks for listening.